Chapter 22, Hardships Rage Location, up above, Manhattan's Upper East Side A month after Tom and Harry first met, May 29, 2027 Tom and Harry walked the streets of the Upper East Side on their way to the Albertine. In his mind, Tom made a list of things Nate and Harry had in common. He planned to organize activities to bring the two closer together. He sighed. There wasn't much on the list, apart from him. For the past four years, Tom and Nate had become inseparable, and as their love flourished, so did their careers. They fed on each other's creativity and complemented one another in their differences. Nate benefited from Tom's business knowledge and optimism, while Tom tapped into Nate's street smarts and deep understanding of social justice and activism. When Tom's parents passed away, one after the other, Nate had worked incessantly, for months, to single-handedly pull Tom from the depths of depression. During that time, Nate had stopped drinking and performing, becoming a source of endless positivity and light. He picked up the joy Tom had dropped and reflected it back at him, until some of it stuck. His attempts to make Tom smile included lame jokes, old silent movies, and waltzing through Central Park as Nate hummed Gene Wieners under the Paris sky. A little embarrassed, Nate would stop halfway, all serious, and say, you know, waltzing is a revolutionary act. Pope Leo XII considered it scandalous and banned it in the 1820s. Then he'd pull Tom closer and shouted, Viva la Revolution, as they both twirled around the Angel of Waters, humming together and laughing as other couples joined them in the revolutionary dancing extravaganza. Soon enough, Nate returned Tom's joy to its original owner as the poet went back to his activism, rage returning as soon as he stepped back on the world stage. 23-year-old Tom was trying his best to return the favor, but from the vertiginous height of his unwelcome pedestal, he struggled to mend Nate's wounds. Tom knew his experience with his boyfriend was a stark contrast from everyone else's experience. He understood the man he loved had a sharp edge fueled by substance abuse and deep vulnerability. Nate had had a rough childhood. He dealt with poverty, starvation, homophobic bullying, and rejection. Anger was deeply ingrained in his heart, and he judged others harshly and relentlessly. Lately, all of Nate's judgment fell onto Tom's new associate and project. We're here, Tom said, stopping in front of the French embassy's building. There's a lovely book shop inside. I read ebooks, Harry said, all high and mighty. Do you know how many trees are? Tom interrupted. We're not buying any books. Come. Tom grabbed Harry by his jacket and pulled him inside. Since they had met, Tom and Harry had multiple brainstorming sessions at the techie's place. The conversations were becoming too centered on technology innovation, and Tom searched for a new venue, and he remembered the leather sofas and the mural at the Albertine. They walked up the stairs, sat on the same couch, and Tom pointed to the ceiling. They both slid down until their heads faced the golden stars. It's meant to evoke the Renaissance's idea that science and poetry aren't separated. That the pursuit of knowledge encompasses math, science, literature, and the arts, Tom said, daydreaming. I'm on board with that, Harry said. As long as you don't sell me the science behind zodiac signs. Actually, Tom provoked. He curled in on himself when Harry punched him lightly in the stomach. One moment they were laughing, the next Nate came out of nowhere, pulled Harry up by the collar of his shirt, and pushed his foot down onto the younger man's ankle. Then he punched Harry's face before dropping him on the sofa. Nate, stop! Tom shouted. 
Tom stood up and placed his body in between Nate and a wounded Harry, sporting a bruised face and an injured leg. Nate's fist was in front of Tom's face as he attempted to push through Tom's body to reach Harry. Tom stood there, steadfast, eyes locked on Nate's. It didn't take long for Nate to back down. Even inebriated, he'd never hurt Tom. Did you see this? Nate shoved his phone in front of Tom's nose. Read it, Nate grunted, his face red. What have you done? Tom gasped. Read it, Nate repeated. It's all there. Reported by the New York Times. You can't trust him. Nate attempted to caress his face, but Tom pushed Nate's hand away, he could smell the bourbon on Nate's breath. Nathan, enough. Tom screamed as he turned to help Harry to his feet. You okay? he asked Harry. Erm, no, not really. Harry whimpered, collapsing on the sofa in pain. Nate's rings had marked his face. That guy is an immoral pig, Nate raged on. He made a deal with Google. His bot had access to all our data, search history, media viewings, even our email. Tom, you're playing with fire. Tom dropped to one knee to look at Harry's ankle. It's swollen. Likely broken. I'm so sorry, Harry. Tom, please. In his mind, humans are replaceable. Nate's words were filled with a mix of scorn and fear. He'll use our data to manipulate us and then turn us all into a disposable commodity. No one can turn you into a commodity, Tom whispered, untying Harry's shoe and pulling it off. I know that, and so should you. Dude, what's wrong with you? Harry said, holding his ankle and grimacing in pain, and Tom grimaced with him. Since he was a kid, Tom often felt the physical pain he observed in others. His parents and teachers acknowledged his empathy but never believed him when he said he could feel the pain. Tom turned to face Nate. You've gone too far. You're naive to think this, this relationship will work. A boozy spite coated Nate's tone. Stop treating me like a child. I'm not. You're too trusting. You see the best in people, and you'll get hurt. Don't mistake kindness with weakness. Harry and I are friends. He's a great guy, and we're working on something positive, something hopeful, Tom said. He's making deals with big tech and buying people's data. Nate said. Don't you see? He's manipulating you. You are, have everything he and his bot need to achieve absolute power. Don't be naive, absolute power corrupts absolutely. You think so little of me, Tom said. Just the opposite. Nate said. Your stories, full of humanity, they change hearts and minds. Don't give that power to a heartless human bot. Nate got closer. Stop insulting him. That's not the way to inspire people to change. Tom paused for a second, thinking, and then something changed in him, and he felt the sting of his resolution. He pronounced his sentence with a mix of awkward gentleness and unshakable conviction. I, I never judged you, the anger in your art and in your words. I understood where it came from. I feel it too, sometimes. And, I know I'll never fully understand what it was like to grow up in your world. Tom used his sleeves to wipe the tears flooding his eyes and face. I love you. I support you and your craft, but I don't want to burn in outrage, and when you're upset, I'm upset. When you come home intoxicated, lost to me, I, I struggle to breathe and to live. 
and I need to do something. I need to try to fix things. And you, you feed on wrath, and it's effective, sometimes, but it's killing me to see you crush people with your words. I can't take it. Well, sunshine, Nate snapped. I'm so sorry that my justified rage is affecting your privileged outlook and entrepreneurship. It's who I am. Tom said. I can't change the past, my upbringing. Neither can I. Nate replied. You have achieved so much, inspired so many amidst such adversity. Tom said. Be that. You know how to amplify joy, I've seen it. It sits wonderful. Nate shrugged. Suffering and struggle are, character building. None of it you have experienced. Haven't I? Absent-mindedly, Tom massaged the light cuts on his left wrist, scars carved out of grief soon after his parents passed. He caught himself and lowered his head for a moment. Don't you see, Stormy? The words you speak matter. They, they shape your view of the world and creep into everything you create or destroy. Lead with hope, have faith in people. Let them grow, Nate. Someone needs to speak truth to power. Remember, Tom? Truth? Yes. Tom replied. And you do it so well, but you're going too far, and all, all that negativity, it weakens our ability to get past problems. You keep holding on to your past, to, to a story that doesn't help you. Nate looked at Tom, and his eyes filled with loving sorrow. I hope life never breaks you, little prince. That's what life does, it breaks those who are less, entitled. Nate spoke affectionately. People follow you. Tom said. You should know better. And this, he pointed at Harry's bruised face, this is unacceptable. We're done here, we're done. Tom reached to the back of his neck to unlock his silver chain. Nate seemed to realize the gravity of the moment and his hands and jaw shuddered slightly. He placed his shaking hand over the metal on top of Tom's chest. Don't insult me. It was a gift, he said solemnly. Tom thought about it for a moment, and then he nodded without ever making eye contact with Nate. Then he lifted Harry off his feet and walked away, carrying the boy downstairs on the way to find the nearest hospital. Tom, don't. I love you, Nate had implored. On that same day, Tom moved out of their studio into Harry's penthouse in Hoboken. He wanted to help Harry while he was on crutches. Nathan had crossed a line, Tom's immovable line. Tom blocked Nathan's contact and threw himself into his work to attempt to ease the insurmountable pain, but the agony lingered, resisting the passage of time.